Welcome to the DermVet Podcast. I'm Dr. Ashley Bourgeois, a board-certified veterinary dermatologist practicing in Portland, Oregon with animal dermatology clinics. I'm also a mom of two, just trying to find the balance like everyone else. Let's learn to ditch the itch, cytology, everything, and make derm more fun than frustrating. The thing I love most about veterinary medicine is the connections, the community that we get to make. So I'm very excited to share something different on the podcast this week. I had the privilege of recording on another podcast, and we are going to cross-post that podcast episode between our two different platforms. The podcast I got to be a guest on recently is the Dog Tour Bros. It is a group of best friends from veterinary school who are now on their veterinary career journeys, and they interview and discuss with other veterinarians different aspects. And I know Dr. Jeff Tinsley, as we are both derm nerds and work for the same company, and he asked me to be a part of his podcast, and I was really excited to share my particular journey of being a parent in the veterinary field, and of course, some of the challenges and tribulations I have had the last few years, but also even if you are not a parent... It really, I think, gives some good insight on just balance in general and, you know, the title of veterinarian, but also making sure that we find other aspects of our life that we identify with and that we share and that we prioritize. So we are sharing this episode of the podcast on not only this platform, but I encourage you, if you really like this style, to check out the Doctor Bros, D-O-G-T-O-R Bros podcast as well, as they have other wonderful episodes and other wonderful people that they interview. Welcome to the Doctor Bros, where we have an honest discussion around vet life in and out of the clinic. My name is Jeff Tinsley. I'm your doc of the day and your guide through this episode. I'm a dermatology associate veterinarian living in Louisville, Kentucky. I'm here with my closest friends from vet school. Hi, I'm Brandon. I'm a small animal medicine resident at Iowa State University. Hey, and this is Adam. I'm a relief veterinarian in Louisville, Kentucky. And we are so pumped to have the Derm Vet with us today. So welcome to the Derm Vet Dr. Brothers crossover. Hi, Dr. Ashley Bourgeois. How are you? I'm so good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. We're so pumped to have you. So Dr. Ashley Bourgeois is a board-certified veterinary dermatologist. She's passionate about providing practical knowledge to general practitioners to help itchy pets. She became a diplomat of the American College of Veterinary Dermatology in 2014. She has a strong interest in autoimmune skin diseases, allergies, cytology, and otology. She and her husband stay busy with their daughter, son, and rescue pit bull boxer mix. Dr. Ashley Bourgeois is passionate about educating veterinarians in dermatology and work-life integration through her podcast, lecturing, and social media presence at The Derm Vet, which you can all check out on Instagram. Uh, Facebook as well? Yes. (laughs) Perfect. So we're going to start off today with uh, a little game, and then we'll go into a little bit about um, our main topic. So Nobody knows what this game is. I literally was chatting before recording, um, telling everybody here how I made this up on the way. So we'll see how it goes. But I have affectionately named this Pick Your Poison. 
Oh no. So I have one, two. <laughs> it's not all bad. It's not all bad. <laughs> one, two, three, four, five th- things listed. It's going to be two items for everybody to choose. And we'll just go around and you'll pick your poison. Veterinary style edition. So you just pick the one that you would do. All right. Everybody ready? Yes. Mm, yes. All right. Pick your poison number one. Aggressive dog appointment or aggressive cat appointment? Aggressive dog, hands down. That is easy. <laughs> <laughs> How big's the dog? What are we talking about? <laughs> Open interpretation. Rottweiler. I'm going to go with dog. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I think I might be leaning more towards dog on that one. Yeah. Brandon? Yeah, sorry. Uh, I I I gotta go, with dog. Like a, a fractious cat, especially a real fractious cat. A real fractious cat. A real one. <laughs> like everyone knows. Like there's a difference between a unhappy cat and then a fractious cat. I, this is Jeff. I agree with that. I would also go with the aggressive dog. I, I feel like I can also restrain a dog better. And I have a big dog, and I always grew up with dogs. I think when you have a, a unhappy cat, they're just so quick. You just have to be on They're slippery. Your, they're slippery. You have to be on your toes a little bit more. All right. Number two, brachycephalic nail trim with an um, a dog with all black claws versus an unhappy cat nail trim. Mm. <laughs> that one's a little trickier. Probably the cat because I just sedate it. Mm. Right. And then it's like, but like, and that cat's probably gonna be okay. But sedating like a pug that's unhappy and brachycephalic and struggling to breathe, I'm a little more nervous about, but I'd probably just have to like chalk it up to sedation. That's actually a really fair point. I was going on this one with the unhappy cat as well, because where I actually thought about, you know, some cats, even though I'm really not a big fan of declawing, some cats are declawed. So maybe if you just are dealing with half of an unhappy cat, it's a little bit better. There's only two paws to work with, but even still like we'll kitty burrito, we'll figure it out. Um, I'm not, not as big a fan of like pug nail trims. Uh, I'd go with the pug as long as I have uh, three of us working (laughs) on it. One person to hold one person to cut the nails and then one person to tell us to stop when the dog turns purple. Mm. Um, you know, uh, but, uh, you know, as long as we take frequent breaks, I think we'll be okay. Yeah, I'd have to go with the kitty cat because it's, again, difference between a fractious cat and an unhappy cat. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but like, you can kitty burrito and usually just do one pot at a time and it'll be it'll be fine. But brachycephalic dog, I don't want to be dealing with the iatrogenic airway obstruction. Oh, that's a good point, too. All right, number three. Placing an IV catheter on a dachshund versus a urinary catheter on a female bulldog. I mean, I haven't placed a urinary catheter in over a decade, which is starting to show my age. But I will say (laughs) that it was my specialty. Like, I was pretty good at it before I specialized. So I would like the challenge of trying to do that again. I think that's valid. Of doing the urinary catheter. Yeah. 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 I mean, I would go... I once, I put this in because I've done both of these things a long time ago, back in my rotating internship, like in the middle of the night when we didn't have a lot of help, 
So you just got to you know, put on your cowboy boots and figure it out. I, I think I would go for the IV catheter and the dachshund just because I think I can see it a little bit better. But, you know, neither one's amazing. You got to do what you got to do. Yeah, I hate both options. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, But I think I'd have to go with the IV catheter as well. I think I got a better shot. Yeah, same here. I I agree. I think my text would, if I had to like think about what my text would be less upset, less upset about, they'd probably be less upset about the IV catheter. Mm, Fair enough. Number four, running general anesthesia on a snake versus neutering a gerbil. (laughs) (laughs) it's malpractice if i try to do either of those things at this point in my career (laughs) i mean i can't even get i mean i guess gerbil because i I don't even i don't even know what i do i don't even know how to do either of those things (laughs) (laughs) i'd probably go with the gerbil same i'd I'd have to go gerbil too Uh, i'd go snake uh when i was Nice. When I was an intern, I got to um, help. Uh, shout out to Dr. Kevin Fitzgerald. I got to help him out uh, placing a tracker in a rattlesnake. But he, he did that for, I don't know if it was Department of Wildlife in Colorado at the time or what, but he was helping track movements of rattlesnakes. So they track, put the tracker in, gather data. I think they'd remove the trackers eventually. And, um, I got to see him put one in and he had like, essentially it's just like a cylindrical plastic tube. You get the snake in there after you'd given it some uh, like IM sedation, I believe. And then ran some GA through there. If I remember correctly, this was a while back, but uh, it was fairly doable. Whereas microsurgery on a gerbil would be tough. Microsurgery. Hey, ophthalmologists do it on eyeballs. So I figure, like, maybe if I get those little glasses they got and figure it out. <laughs> some spectacles. Uh, some spectacles. And then the last one <laughs> that I have for y'all um, more clinical. Well, more work clinical. I guess. It'll make more sense when I say it. Staying five hours late, finishing records versus working your full day off. I would rather stay late doing records. Once I'm in the mode of being at the clinic, I actually don't mind. I guess my caveat, and this will fit into our episode today, is just as long as I have someone to pick up the kids. Because <laughs> um, like when I have had to work long days or do it, I actually don't mind. If I'm in the mode and I'm there and I'm in the zone, um, I enjoy my work. So it really doesn't bother me. Um, it's harder for me to adjust when I'm like on my day off. Um, so I have gone in to do procedures in my day off when it's made sense and, you know, I felt balanced with it. Um, so I don't mind either, but like if I'm in the zone, it really doesn't bother me to stay for long shifts. I think that's valid. Uh, my, my answer was more of, I just want to go home and regroup and I will come back tomorrow. And that's unfortunate, but I'll, I'll come back on my day off if I have to, but don't make me stay. And I've stayed long hours before, but if I can avoid that part of my career again, preferred. Yeah, I think I'm that way too. I'd rather, rather than staying late five hours, uh, I think I'd rather come in on my day off. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I I agree with that. It's kind of tough for me right now because... I am staying late and I'm doing work on my day off. <laughs> I've done a lot of days. 
but, the medicine resident. <laughs> uh, but back back when I had more balance in my life, when I was doing GP, I would prefer to just get it done at work because I really do cherish my time off and I want it to be completely off when I am off. That's all valid. Well, good. We know a little bit more about each other. Now we'll switch gears and talk a little bit more about uh, Dr. Ashley with us today and get a little bit more into some things that we've touched on very lightly in the past. Uh, so if you go back and listen to Dr. Rachel Wooten's episode, her first episode with us, episode 11, we talked a little bit about parenthood at the very end. So we're going to dive in a little bit more today. Here's some of Dr. Ashley's experiences um, and our experiences with families for those of us who have families. And first question though, just general question for Dr. Ashley, we ask all of our guests the time old question, what got you interested in vet med? Tell us a little bit about how you got here. Sure. So I was kind of that stereotypical child that um, I remember vividly in fourth grade, half of fourth grade, I wanted to be an astronaut because base camp sounded super cool. And then the other half, I wanted to be an archaeologist because dinosaurs seemed super cool. And then in fifth grade is when we had a career day and I we had a veterinarian came and I realized, oh my gosh, I could actually make my career be animals because I actually didn't have a lot of pets growing up because I grew up a daughter of an Air Force pilot. So we moved around a lot and we had a couple pets, but it just didn't really bode for us to have a lot of animals in our lives because we were moving so much. So pretty much once I realized I could make that my career, I never turned back. I've just been that very classic veterinary type person that just really, really relates to animals. Even to this day, like I can be calmed down just by like snuggling my dog or walking my dog outside. It's just inherently in me. So once I kind of set my eyesight on that, um, then I pretty much went full force ahead. And we it still didn't have a lot of pets when I was going through high school and all that. But as soon as I got into vet school, then I, of course, got a dog like two months into vet school and I've always had a dog ever since. I mean, that's uh, fantastic. I think we all have fairly similar um, started really young stories, not as much as the, the knee jerk career shift, which is normal and natural. So I, I think it's really interesting that you had those other um, less common interests that other vets have. Um, and tell us now a little bit about your experience as a veterinary parent. Yeah, there's definitely a shift that happened. So I currently have a four-year-old boy and a six-year-old girl um, who are about to have their birthdays in a couple of months. So it's definitely been, you know, I've kind of get, gotten through the baby years and through the toddler years. And then beyond that, pandemic years and everything else that's kind of proved to be a challenge. And I think it is a really interesting journey. And I think what's really important about having this conversation is also to recognize everybody's journey as a parent, whether it is children caring for a parent, whether it is, you know, being a fur parent and having to be responsible for somebody else is that everybody's journey looks very different and your desires can be very different. So I'll hear sometimes people say like, Oh, you do so much. And how do you balance it all? Like, I don't, you know, I feel overwhelmed by that. I don't want to do that. I'm like, if you don't want to do it, why would you compare your journey to mine? Like, we're not meant to do the same thing. Mm. Like the thought of me being a stay-at-home mom sounds horrific, <laughs> like terrible. <laughs> that is not in me at all. 
but it's totally fine if that isn't someone else. So I think what I've really learned through just having connections with other strong women in the veterinary field who either have the same desires I do, you know, that I know through the speaking circuit or through social media or that don't is that like to, to do that comparative game is really, really dangerous because your goals might not be my goals. And I think that's really, really important. And I think it's also important and I've had to learn this and I'm, I know we're going to probably dive in a little bit into my more recent story. The last couple of years is our son has, uh, was diagnosed. Our four-year-old was diagnosed with leukemia almost two years ago. And we were just getting out of the pandemic. I very much had to shift from getting very heavy into travel workload 2020 being the year that was supposed to be my big year. I was really getting asked to do a lot of speaking. It was kind of the year that I was finally achieving my dreams. And then clearly our world changed. And then in 2022, when the world felt a little bit more, hey, we're going to be more normal, our son got diagnosed with cancer. So we had to shift again. And then this past year, when he hit his maintenance therapy, I got really excited and committed to a lot of stuff. And I overdid it that way. So you kind of learn to think through experience and just having those connections that journeys don't have to look the same, but you also have to learn from the things you do that maybe have to shift. So this year is kind of a year of finding that balance a little bit better because I've had the pendulum swing both ways pretty extremely the last couple of years. Uh, no, I think that's a really excellent answer. You made a lot of good points, uh, especially like the part you mentioned about like, don't necessarily compare your journey to other people's. I mean, I think there's a sweet spot where if you're trying to achieve something that's in your lane and you have somebody that you're kind of in a look up to or mentor sort of standpoint, that's okay. Like in, in a, they, they're doing it, I can do it too sense. But if you're just kind of tearing yourself down or saying, well, this person is doing all these things, you don't know what battles other people are going through, what's on their plate and how they're challenging it, especially with the things that you've had to go through. Um what kind of, um, or I guess when you had to shift gears, especially like with your son, because I don't want to race past that, what types of things did you have to um, change or fit on your plate in order to make it to like appointments and, and also balance that with your career? Yeah. So it was a huge shift when he first got diagnosed. Um, I was actually with you at our dermatology meeting, I was there I remember. to find out that he was anemic and I had to rush home. Um, and I had a, a lot of stuff planned and I actually didn't work for six weeks because the first month of that uh, treatment is the most intense because they're on twice daily steroids. They're on chemo. I mean, consistently on chemo, but just more aggressive chemo. And so I actually just didn't work. And it's weird as a person that's really career driven, that was like a super easy decision for me to make. It's just like, I love my job. I love what I do. But the thought of having to deal with a, a client who maybe be angry that I won't refill their dog's Apoquil and then to be like, well, I had to watch my son get chemo yesterday. Like I just knew that that wasn't going to be the right balance for me. Um, but then once we kind of got settled um, the, so for about nine months, he couldn't go to daycare, couldn't go to school. So once we kind of got through that first month and a half, that was more intense Then my husband and I were very fortunate. Our jobs are very supportive and we were able to kind of flip flop our schedules. So I'd be in the clinic two days a week. He'd be at work two days a week. And then Friday would be the other day would kind of be like our 
balance appointments. You know, we still had another kid we had to do stuff with. Um, so we did that for about uh, eight, uh, about nine, 10 months. And then we were able to go to a bit more of a normal schedule when he could go back to school um, uh, almost a year ago. So it has been a lot of shifting what we've been doing just to make sure we could take care of him, but also recognizing it was okay. Cause the other thing that was hard about that journey is I would hear about parents are like, why just quit work for two years and just focus on them. And I also knew that wasn't the right decision for us mentally to be like, well, one, we still got to pay the bills. Right. But two is like, I cannot like just be home for two years. Like that will not be the right decision for any of us. So it is a lot of flip-flopping and just trying things on and deciding what works and what doesn't work. No, I think that's really awesome that you realize that and have that sort of self-awareness. And also it sounds like you've been flexible, do what you have to do, realize like sometimes I need to be in the clinic. Sometimes I need to understand when it's family time and how to, it sounds like you integrated it well. That doesn't mean, I mean, easier said than done looking at the uh, when things were more difficult at the beginning versus now, but it sounds like you came to a good place, which is awesome. Um, and we're glad that Carson's doing well. Um, and now he's just crazy. Now I'm just figuring out like <laughs> how to deal with a four-year-old boy who actually feels good. Cause there's a lot of running around, jumping off things. And I'm surprised we haven't broken a bone yet. Oh, wow. Okay. So being a regular kid, which is good. Yeah. And then, um, so question um, I guess this would be more for you, Adam, as well, but Adam and Ashley, what do you guys, since you're the parents on this episode, shout out to Chris who couldn't make it for this episode. So we'll see him next time. But um, what do you find most difficult about being a veterinary parent? You know, for me, and I think this is, again, very different for everybody, depending on what your goals are. Um for me, I feel much more secure and confident now that I've just figured things out. And again, I'm very fortunate to be in a very supportive work environment. I know not everybody gets that opportunity, but our company as a whole, and then even my clinic in general are super duper supportive. So that has made it really easy, but it is a lot of, um, you know, guilt, even just day-to-day stuff, even if it's not a dramatic journey like I've had to go through, but even the guilt of, well, my kid's sick and now I have to call out, you know, or like I can only be so flexible with my work schedule now because I have to go get the kids from daycare. So when you mentioned like working five hours late, that used to not bother. Like I'd be like, sure, whatever. I'd rather have my day off like Brandon. But now it's like when it's like 440 at the clinic, because our daycare shutdowns at 515, like I have to be out the door. Like if we're in the middle of a discussion between the doctors of we need to do this different, it's like, that sounds good. I have to go. So I deal with a lot of that guilt just because I have traditionally been the person that really loves to stay and work and doesn't mind that. So that's been definitely something I still struggle with to this day. And this is Adam. For me, I think the biggest thing is, so our setup that we have is that, uh, so my wife is a veterinarian as well. Um, two days a week, her mom will come and stay with us and uh, stay with the kids. I have a four-year-old boy and a three-year-old girl. Uh, and then the rest of the week, so Allison will work Monday and Tuesdays, and then the rest of the week, she's home with the kids. Um, so because of that, you know, I'm typically working more, longer hours, longer days, more days, typically five, six days a week is what I'm typically averaging. So I think the biggest uh, hardship that comes with that is 
knowing that, you know, that's a, that's a big burden on Allison, um, you know, being home with the kids that much, it's a big burden on the, the kids as well, you know, not, not having me around quite as much. And um, I was actually listening to your podcast, The Derm Vet, uh, and you have some great information there. I encourage all of our listeners to head over there and listen. Um, but I stumbled across one episode that was talking about parenting. And one thing that you mentioned on there that I thought was great was how you uh, call it more of a work, uh, work-life integration as opposed to a work-life balance, um, because these are both things that uh, we cherish and both things that we enjoy. Uh, and so, you know, finding that integration between the two. And I think that's probably the hardest and most difficult challenge that comes with being a veterinary parent uh, is being able to continue to serve your clients and, and serve your pets, but also being there for, for your family as well. Yeah. And a lot of that came back down from the fact that, and again, I don't get too caught up in like schematics of like, oh, how could you call it balance? But why I've struggled with calling it that is just that that's kind of implying it's, you know, 50, 50 or that you're balancing it all out. I think it's really like none of us have it perfectly balanced and we all have different desires and sometimes it shifts one way more than the other. And even if you don't have kids, it could just be like, you want to go visit your family. You want to go see your friends. You know, there's just lots of ways in our industry in particular that, you know, we have to realize we're all different, but we're just doing our best to integrate life with work. And that can look different for everybody. Yeah, I think that's extremely, extremely valid. And I kind of wanted to ask a question, which really any of us could answer because we all deal with families in the clinic, but kind of looking at it from maybe a client perspective, um, how do you interact when you get a family that comes to see you in the clinic? Like when there's a couple of kids running around the exam room, how do each of you manage that? I I think it depends. I mean, obviously I have a lot of empathy because I have been the mom with the kid losing their mind at an appointment. And it's <laughs> really easy for people to say, well, why do they bring their kids? And it's like, sometimes you don't have that option. Like mm-hmm. you don't have anywhere else to put them. We do not live by our family where we are. So it's like, if their daycare is closed, like they, we have a child where you're having kids, like that's just going to be what it is. Um, so, you know, I really just try to interact with them and cause it's really frustrating as a parent to already feel that stress when your kids are losing their mind and you're trying to deal with the doctor. And then plus you feel like the doctor's getting frustrated. Um, so I've done all sorts of things. Um, I've been in clinic, actually my primary vet for my own dog, cause Lord knows once we get past the skin in the ears, I'm helpless. So my dog has a vet <laughs> and she had like, he had a coloring book and colored pencils for my daughter. And I was like, that is genius. That is like five bucks. You just have it sitting there for when you have kids coming. And it was so helpful. And it was all like dogs and animal based. I have taken exam room gloves and it's amazing. Just look in your exam room. The things kids are think are like the coolest thing ever. Exam room gloves, big hit with kids. You can have them try to blow it up. The parents could blow it up for them or they just play with it. I've taken Q-tips and had kids like drum on the bench. Um, I've taken tongue, you know, depressors and had them play with it. Um, So it's pretty amazing. Like the things that are really boring, kids always find exciting. So I just start pulling things out of our exam room drawers and just seeing if I can entertain them. Yeah, I I think that's a great answer. And I was hoping we would you know slip into this question being, you know, tip-wise and, and things that are useful too for uh, if you have clients out there. But my tiny two cents is uh, 
being proactive, just like you said, like having, we have extra stickers and crayons and things that kids can color on in our lobby and you can bring them into the rooms. So just being kind and empathetic and knowing that sometimes a kid needs to be a kid and giving the clients that you're working with um, the option, like obviously if a kid is, if they, if they need a second, and they're you know the loudest one in the rooms. I just kind of take a second, and I'm just like, no worries. Just take a step back, let them do their thing, uh, let the owner or um, the client, the, the parent of the the child, not the owner, um, do whatever they need to do, and then offer them a coloring book if you can. Directly talk to them if if they um, seem responsive to it. Sometimes kids are just shy, and then they're just like, oh, okay. Um, they don't necessarily want to interact and that's okay. But also some of them are, are really pumped to be there and you might accidentally inspire one to be the, another veterinarian. Um, what about you, Brandon and, and Adam? Yeah, a lot of the things you hit on were what I was going to say too, having resources there, coloring books, stickers, that sort of thing uh, to kind of help the kids uh, kind of express themselves more in the exam room while they're there. Because I know that can be a boring environment for them, you know, trapped in a little room like that. So giving them giving them ways to kind of express themselves uh, and do something that they want to do. Uh, like you said, some of the kids are shy. They don't want to interact. Um, but then other kids, and this is mainly when they get a little older, I've had several that take an interest in what I'm telling their parents um, and are asking the, the children are asking me follow-up questions, good follow-up questions. Um, and so I love it when they get engaged because I love talking to them about the stuff too, because you can see, you know, if they're asking questions, they're into it. You know, they want to know about it. Um, so even letting them listen to the heart, letting them look in the ears, you know, little things like that to kind of help get them involved too. Uh, I've had kids respond really well to that. This is Brandon. Yeah, I, I appreciate y'all's advice being proactive. I, I like that. I'm going to keep that in mind for the future. Um, I'm kind of at the whim of the university right now, so I don't like have a say in like having those resources immediately available or anything. But um, I think for me, just on average, I'd say like 10 to 15 percent of appointments will have like clients that'll have their kids at a variety of ages. Um, I've got uh, some. Uh, nieces and a nephew similar age to y'all's kids uh so i get to see them interact with them and uh, you know it's a little bit of a like personal experience to be able to like bring that to the clinic since i don't have my own kids at home um but uh I, like like you said ashley sometimes like especially in in some of the cases that i have where these pets are in the hospital or they're really sick I doubt that the parents want their kids to be there to like kind of have to go through all of that and those difficult conversations. Uh, so like, I respect that they're just doing what they need to do to take care of themselves and their families during the whole time of like dealing with their pets being so sick. Uh, so even if a kid is having a tantrum or something else, you know, it's just their kids, they're going to, they're going to do what they do. Um, and I respect whatever boundaries the parents have uh, just trying to get the conversation going and, getting their pet taken care of. Uh, but I'll keep that in mind for the future with like, I love the coloring book and the color pencils idea. That's great. They're, they're pretty cheap. Um, I think, I feel like the ones we have are similar to like when you go to Olive Garden and you have like that little four pack or whatever, like it works for the younger kids. They're, they don't need a lot. You can even do like temporary tattoos um, with parent permission is always fun as well. Um 
looking as we kind of get towards the end of things, I also wanted to ask, again, more of a, I guess, as a young professional veterinarian. So again, question to Adam and Ashley, how do you feel when young veterinarians look up to you as a veterinary parent and ask for advice? What do you tell them? I mean, what I really, really try to emphasize um, to people who reach out about wanting kids in the future or wanting a family or what that looks like and balancing with it, um, you know, first of all, it's just, I can tell you my experience, but that's not everyone's experience because I truly think we all have different goals. There's different parenting styles. There's different desires in life. Again, I've had friends who've left their careers because they yearn to be a stay-at-home mom. And I'm like, that's amazing that is not my journey and that is not my <laughs> yearning. Um, and that's okay. Cause again, I think people think there's a judgment there like, Oh, well, you know, they decided not to work. I'm like, well, that's, the, that's what they really want to do. And they're able to do that. That's okay. But that doesn't mean I have to feel bad that I know that's not what would make me happy. But the big thing I always tell them is just a lie. Don't I'm really big into, we all have a lot of titles and it's okay if our titles change. Meaning if you have a young child and you are able to, and want to go down a part-time and that makes sense for you, that doesn't mean you have to be part-time forever. I think people are really concerned that if they make a certain declaration, right? Like I'm a part-time veterinarian. I am this, I leave for industry. I do this, that that has to be like who you are forever. And I'm a big believer in that our paths can change. So it may make sense for a period of time, whatever you're dealt with, like if you're dealt with a weird card, like we were dealt with with our son, that like I am like I identify with my work and for a month and a half, it didn't work. And that is like something that most people would be surprised by, but it was a very easy decision for me. So um, you just allow yourself to change and know that just because you do one path, you take one job, you move one place, doesn't mean in three years, five years, seven years, if life changes that you couldn't adjust. So you don't have to feel stuck because I think that intimidates a lot of people in parenthood. Like I am a stay-at-home mom. I am a part-time dad. I am this. And it's like, you need to completely change your journey depending on what you need you know, it's a long journey. You don't have to commit to exactly what you want to be from the day they're born. I think that's a great point. And I think you hit the nail on the head with that. Yeah, I would say uh, as far as my advice goes for uh, new aspiring parents within the veterinary field, it's, you know, do what's going to work best for you, for you, for the kids, for your spouse, you know, find the system that works for your family and implement that. And like she's, like Ashley said, that may only be short term. That doesn't have to be forever. Um, but find what's going to work for you. And obviously when it comes to kids, you can only prepare so much. Nobody's fully ready for kids when they come along. Uh, but trying to do that planning beforehand and having some sort of idea of, okay, well, maybe I'll take a backseat with my work while you work more. Or, you know, having some sort of system in place in your mind as to what the idea is going to be going forward. And it may change. Uh, you know, we, we never know what the future holds, um, but at least having some sort of outline prepared for when the kids come, you know, what, what's going to work best for you and your family. Yeah, this is Jeff again. And I really appreciate that. The points that you made, Adam, and um, a lot of, some of those points, I mean, you can even take, from a non-family standpoint, like I don't have a, I don't have children, 
Um, Brandon doesn't have children either, but I think it's important to remember, like, get out of your own box and don't shove yourself into this identity that you've told yourself that you have to do. And then, you know, if you need to expand, have a little grace on yourself and, and get, um, get outside of it. Uh, but those are all really good points and great advice. The last question I had for everybody as we get towards the end here is what is one thing each of you is leaving behind in 2023 as we get into the new year? Um, my big one is, um, not feeling like I always have to have my phone on me. Ooh, yeah. And I'm, and I say that carefully because I, I obviously do a lot with social media, so I'm not trying to give the implication that it's always bad, but I have a tendency to feel like even just walking around my house, like, well, I have to have my phone on me just in case. And what I find with myself is I get trapped like many of us do to be like, oh, I could just do two seconds on Instagram. I could do this. I could just check this real quick. And then all of a sudden I've wasted a lot of time and I have children now that will call me out on it. So <laughs> it doesn't take, it jabs your heart a little bit when your daughter's like, why are you on your phone again? Why are you always on your phone? So I've learned to actually be at peace with just, it doesn't need to be attached to me. So I just try to leave it in other places of the house and I find it actually very freeing. And then when I am intentional to say, well, I am going to check social media. It's not a gap filler. It's like, I'm going to take 10 minutes to do this rather than the one minute here, 30 seconds here, 20 seconds here. So that's kind of my big thing. For me, uh, the thing that I am leaving behind is the past couple of months, I've been trying to be more intentional with working out, eating better, um, just all around being healthier. I know that doesn't sound like leaving thing behind, but I guess you could spin that as leaving behind. Bad habits? <laughs> leaving behind, uh, mainly, I guess, like candy, junk food, that sort of thing. Tried to make that transition to being more intentional with uh, my dieting uh, and then also my exercise. So leaving behind uh, the sugar, I guess. Brandon? Yeah, this is Brandon again. Uh, I think for me, this is this took a, a another podcast that I listened to to kind of get to this point. But for me, it's like excuses. I can always think of a reason to like, hmm. you know, I'm going to have my coffee first and I'll just like review this only a little bit today or something else. And with residency, it's, you guys know, it, it's a lot of time and effort and um, it's easy to be like, I've done a lot. I need a break. Uh, well, I'm like, I'm getting towards the finish line. I don't, if I can avoid it, I want to take this test once and be done. So, um, yeah, no more excuses. Just, I got to buckle down and get things done and, you know, just, just do it. Just get it done. I like it. Yeah. That's excellent. Um, I think mine would be something that affects a lot of veterinarians, which is I'm going to go ahead and leave behind imposter syndrome. So, the more I get into my career, the more I feel more confident in my medicine. And every now and then I still get somebody who challenges that or um, is negative towards maybe something that uh, they just don't feel like I'm doing correct. Or maybe they just don't know a lot about my medicine or what I'm doing. And just being more confident in the exam room, just being like, 
this is what I know to the best of my knowledge with my experience. And I've done a lot of research and I also don't mind being wrong. Um, but just leaving behind that feeling of, am I adequate enough? Am I good enough? Because I feel like I am. And so I'm kind of like stepping into a new era, a new age of that. And, um, just being more confident with my medicine, what I'm doing. That's like such a good sign of maturity. <laughs> it really is. I will tell you, like, as a person who has been like, I'm aging myself, but has almost been bored of 10 years. You said 2014. And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> oh, 10 no. Years this year since I've taken boards. That <laughs> makes me feel old. But I still feel imposter syndrome sometimes. But I spin that to be like, you just really care. And I know imposter syndrome is bad. But like, if you, if I ever get to the point where I'm always like, I don't feel challenged to think truly, did I do right on that case? Or maybe I need to reconsider or learn something new. Then you're just one of those veterinarians. that's like, right. Like I'm always right. And I'm never going to learn anything new. Right. Imposter syndrome. You definitely don't want to deal with for our mental health sake. But to me, when people have that, I just in, inherently you care, like you really care mm -hmm. to do the best you can. And I think that's a good way to spin it, but it's also good to be balanced with that. Yeah, no, I, I really appreciate that because I, I think there's also a really good point to make, which is I am still learning all the time. That's one thing I really love about our career in vet med is every time I go to a conference, I'm picking up new nuggets and I don't always make every single, um, every single little thing I do in the, the clinic is not always right all the time. I have bad days. I have days when I, Ooh, I meant to prescribe this antibiotic. Hey, can you call that owner back and and put this on board or, Ooh, I meant to do X, Y, Z. It happens. And I try to give myself a grace, give myself some grace, be human. Um, that's what, you know, keeps me in it for the long haul. So thank you so much, uh, Dr. Bourgeois for being with us today. Can you tell everybody where they can find you on social media? Yes, I am a simple minded person and I kept everything very simple. Everything's under the germ vet because that's what I am. The Durham vet. I'm not just the Durham vet, but I'm a Durham vet, I should say. Um, <laughs> but yes, it's my, I have Instagram and Facebook under the Durham vet. And then um, my podcast, which I know we're going to be able to share on both platforms just to hopefully um, really show two great podcasts opening up some eyes into veterinary medicine is the Durham vet podcast. And um, hopefully look forward to seeing people at future conferences and always striving to be better, but also give ourselves grace, like you said. Yes, I love that. And obviously, if you haven't heard it enough today, please go and check out the Durham Vet Podcast. I really, really enjoy it. I'm on there for a couple You're of right, episodes. Twice. I'm on there twice. And so I never imagined I'd have my own podcast and that you'd be here. Thank you so much for coming. Of course. If you're still with us, thank you so, so much for listening to The Dr. Bros. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your pods. We will love you forever. It would also help us out if you could share this episode with others who may be interested in today's topic. And you can tell us what you want to hear. You can drop suggestions in the comments or shoot us an email at thedrbros at gmail.com or DM us at thedrbros on Instagram spelled T-H-E-D-O-G-T-O-R bros B-R-O-S You can also reach me on Instagram at Derm Dr. Jeff D-E-R-M D-O-G-T-O-R J-E-F-F This is Brandon. You can also reach me on Instagram at Dr. Mason I-M 
and this is Adam. You can reach me on Instagram at Dr. Adam DVM. That's D R A D A M D V M. Well, I think you can see how much fun we had on that podcast episode, and I hope there are different nuggets and things that you can take away. Um, As always, please review and leave positive um, thoughts about our different podcasts because it takes a lot of work to put together these podcasts, and we just really want to get the word out and encourage other people in our field um, to have some, you know, positivity, some insight into other people's journeys. Um, And of course, check out the Dr. Bros podcast as they're doing some wonderful things. As a newer podcast, they're doing some wonderful things on their platform, and I can't wait to collaborate again with them in the future.